Welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education, where we consider all forms, facets, and concerns for all of those people who have been educated, are being educated, or do the educating. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Hi, John. Hi, Jennifer. How's it going? Great. Yeah. No complaints. We are in the year, and we are at work, and we're doing good stuff and hanging out with kids and teaching stuff and working with teachers and working with parents and all that. Yeah, it's always fun at the beginning of the year. We do professional development with the teachers. Right. And I enjoy that time because I feel like, oh, I'm teaching again. You know, my right. class is just adults, yeah. but it's, I get to teach again. It's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I'm just about to start a, a project with my entrepreneurship students where I'm tasking them with creating and uh, bringing to life a pop-up store. Oh, fun. Uh, and I'm only giving them like two class periods to prep and a small amount of seed money to use to to proceed. And, you know, I'll report back when we have our next episode how well they do. It's sort of based on uh, a colleague of mine shared with me a program called Undercover Billionaire. Oh, where yeah. yeah, where, you know, this guy takes $100, goes to Erie, Pennsylvania and says, I can make a million dollar business in 90 days. Well, I'm like, OK, well. We'll see what my students can do with a similar kind of concept, you know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. Uh, That reminds me, um, on our Makerspace episode, we were talking about the place that's trash for teachers. Yes. And I believe you said on the podcast that it's in Glendora. It was. But it's, I think it's in Gardenia. Oh, God bless. It is in Gardenia. Right? Yeah. I live kind of near Glendora, and I was super excited. So when I went to look it up, I was like, oh, no. I knew it wasn't that close. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to remember to to mention that. That's This is Corrections Corner. Yeah. But it's Gardenia. Yeah. Yes. I'll fix that in the show notes. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I No idea why. They're very similar, I'm sure. They both start with a G. <laughs> I didn't say so Glendale today, or uh, Garces, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> For so, our many listeners in yeah. Garces, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Across the state from Tucumcari. In any case, uh, we are talking about a topic today also that begins with the letter, with the letter G. G. Look at this. It's like Electric <laughs> it's like Company. Sesame Street. Right. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by the letter G. And the number... Uh, uh, three, know. the number what? of mistakes I've made in three what? minutes. <laughs> no, what what number is this episode? This eight? is number eight. I've lost count. Yeah, this is episode eight. Oh, so it's brought to you by the letter G the and the number eight. eight. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it's going well so far. And by Feisty Cherry Diet Coke, the beverage I'm drinking for this episode. Oh. Yeah, it's very spicy, like me. Yes. I have a little dog on my lap. Yes. Uh, heating me up here. Yeah, well, that's a separate issue. Okay, so, good. giftedness. Please, giftedness. get us going before I keep <laughs> rattling and God knows where we'll end up. So, originally my idea was that this episode would be called Giftedness, Blessing or Curse. Yes. And I thought that might be a little too uh, <laughs> severe sounding. <laughs> so, you're coming on a little strong, Jennifer. And then I was like, no, it's Blessing and Curse. Yes, like, that's okay, right. maybe it's not a curse. <laughs> However... Uh, the reason I've, I've really been looking forward to this episode for a long time, yep. when we s- sat down to plan out these podcasts and our season, 
I knew right away that I wanted to do one on giftedness because I think there are so many false assumptions okay. about what giftedness is um, for teachers teaching gifted kids, for parents trying to um, parent gifted children. Uh, so I thought, let's talk a little bit about what it actually means, what giftedness means, and let's talk about some of the some of the pitfalls as well as some of the joys that go along with giftedness and the characteristics and, of course, what we can do to help our kids manage some of those pitfalls. So that's what I'd like to cover today. Love it. So first, you know, I like quizzes. This isn't mm-hmm. quite a quiz. but um, Quiz corner. I, w- I wanted to talk about some of the assumptions right. that people hold about gifted kids, right? So what's the first thing, John, that you think of when you hear the term giftedness? Nerd. <laughs> yeah. I, I say well, this as a person who was <laughs> identified as, uh, quote, gifted and talented, both terms which are kind of gross to yeah. me, and uh, was put into something called ATC as a fourth grader, which was a, uh, an abbreviation for academically talented class, hmm. also sort of gross, right? In the 70s, uh, I, you know, I, I think that not as much attention was paid to the way that these labels can shape, hmm. you know, the way that an that a eight-year-old or a nine-year-old mind thinks about things, right? Uh, and it was definitely an attempt uh, by my, you know, by my school district to to give those of us who were so identified, uh, you know, what would amount now to a thoughtfully designed enrichment program. So were you then in a class that was only gifted students? Only one day a week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Four days of regular. And then okay. once a, uh, once a week, uh, in this ATC program, which, you know, we met in a separate room, and mm-hmm. we had our own our own jam, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it was not a uh, it was not a pullout kind of a thing, mm-hmm. right? Where we were always out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, as an educator, I'm like, mm, an interesting <laughs> model, right? Right. Yeah, I'm not right. sure. I'm you know, I have very good memory of those experiences, right? Not sure I would have designed an experience for a fourth, fifth, sixth grader quite that way so do you yeah do you remember um when the other four days when you were with the rest of your class was there any blowback for lack of a better word or how did did the other kids know what you yeah. guys were doing uh yeah they knew was there fallout what on the playground um i i i don't i don't think it helped socially no. Unless you were already socially connected and in, because there were plenty of kids in this class that were connected, right? Okay. That were that were in, and it didn't harm them, right? But I think for those of us who were not connected, it was another challenge to overcome. If you see what I mean. Oh yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It it. Uh, it, it only counted against you if you already had ticks in the box, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, well, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm interested in even some of the language that you used in describing it about, uh, you know, 
whether it's a pullout class, the fact that you were in a separate setting, right? Um, all of these terms that we associate with special education. Yep. Because in the 70s, giftedness was part of special education. It was all under the same umbrella. Right. And um, schools received funding the way that they do now for special education. They received funding for gifted education because it was under this umbrella of special education. Right. Specialness. And, yeah. Right. You know, it was it was special education. It, and because kids needed to be grouped and have uh, this was the percept right this right, is, this right. Is the idea kids needed to be grouped together with the students like them and be taught a certain way uh, to meet their needs and that's exactly what special education does right right now right um, and so in some states today I think that it still is because we in California, in the 70s, the parents actually lobbied, the parents of gifted students lobbied that gifted education not fall under special education because of the stigma. Huh. Interesting. So, okay. So in California, so when they did that, they were successful, but they also gave up all any of that extra federal funding that comes with special education. So gifted education is unfunded in public education in right. California as a result of that. However, um, there are definitely some states where I don't think that's the case because uh, we we had a student transfer in from, uh, I'm not sure if I've got this right, it might have been Tennessee, and he came with an IEP, and it's because of his giftedness. Huh. He had an individualized education plan because his IQ was high and he needed certain things, special things, right. to really maximize and and be able to access the curriculum and have accommodations and things, all those things that we talked about in our special education episode. Right. We, I think, I don't remember if we mentioned this, but there is a classification called twice exceptional. Yes. Giftedness and um, some sort of uh, learning disability or attention deficit, something like that. There's a lot of overlaps there. Right. And I think we'll get into a little bit of that, I think, as we start to talk about some of the character traits of gifted right. students. There's some real overlap, I think, with some of the uh, perceived disabilities like ADHD okay. and autism. I'll, I'll point those out as we get there. Okay. Um, but in California, uh, schools are, you know, can do and districts can do what they want with their gifted education because it's not funded in any way. So there's also uh -huh. no real strings and accountability right. because there's no funding. Right. Um, what we do in my district is we test all third graders. And in my 20 years in this district, we've, I think, changed the tests that we use a couple of different times it's now computer-based. You know, we did one called the OLSAT that was uh, pencil and paper that we sent off to, I believe, Texas for okay. scoring. It'd take months to get the results back. But our gifted program didn't start till fourth grade. My nephews are in um, Oregon. They test second graders. They use a completely different type of test. Yep. Everybody seems to use... You know, from district to district, LA Unified uses a different test than we use. You know, everybody oh, wow. uses something different. 
Um, and my district doesn't accept the test that LA Unified uh, <laughs> gives. So if you, classic. So if you, we we have a kid who transfers over from LA Unified, not far, could be down the block. You know, sorry, you're going to have to come and take our test um, to to be in our program. Our program in elementary school. We do not, at most elementary schools in our district, don't have enough students to do a class, a gifted class. Yeah. So there are clusters, and the teacher is tasked with trying to differentiate for their gate students. Yeah. So I'm going to talk more Tricky. about that a little, little later. Because I think one of the first assumptions is that gifted students are self-starters and independent learners. Not true. Not true at all. Right. In some cases. Right. Not um, necessarily untrue. Right. But that is a uh, that is a dangerous presumption. Definitely. There, I like to try and make the distinction, particularly for my teachers, yep. between gifted students and high achievers. They are not hmm. the same thing. Correct. There are plenty of hardworking. Kids who get straight A's, they're self-starters, they're independent learners, they are smart kids, but they are not, but they don't pass the gate test, they aren't necessarily gifted, meaning intellectually gifted that they have this, you know, higher than average IQ is simply what giftedness, intellectual giftedness means. You have uh, a stainine above average IQ. Yeah. But there are plenty of kids who have high average IQ or in the high in the high average range and they are hard working and they've got great work ethics and they've got great executive functioning school skills and they do very well in school. And right. you know what? Those are the kids that are fun to teach for teachers. Right. <laughs> they're easy. They're easy to teach, right? right? They're the kids that say you forgot to give us homework or you forgot to collect the homework. Right. right. These are your high achievers. Right. These are your kids that are good at school. Right. And they're, they're often not- right. They're exactly. They're good at school. Yeah. They're often very compliant. Yep. Right. And the the challenge for those kind of kids in my experience is when you actually confront them with work that they have to self-direct or this project has five elements. Do them in the order that makes the most sense to you. you in other words, you treat it like a, like a, like a undergraduate class or a graduate school class, right? Mm. There is no best way to do this. Put together a battle plan, assemble your groups and proceed. They don't know what to do because you haven't told them what the 19 granular tasks are. <laughs> Do this one first, then this one, then this one, right? Com- uh, 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 compliance is one way of doing school effectively, but it doesn't necessarily translate into precociousness or a kind of cleverness or giftedness. Yeah. It just means that you're good at understanding the social system of school socially manipulating the teacher by knowing what they want, giving mm-hmm. them what they want, and therefore you get that, that dopamine hit, right, of being well well attended to, praised, because yeah. you, you were compliant more than That's, anything else. That social aspect of school is so important in a child's success. Right. And I'm not just talking about with their peers. 
what you mentioned. It's also the social um, hierarchy in the classroom, understanding and connecting with the teacher. Right. And this is a thing that often gifted kids are not good with the social aspect of school. Yeah. They they struggle in this area. We're going to talk about that, too. Um, uh, Another assumption that's incorrect is that gifted students are intrinsically motivated to get good grades. In fact, often gifted kids could care less about grades. Correct. Right. They are interested in what they are interested in. Correct. And they, you know, want to know absolutely everything there is to know about the thing that they're interested in. But they don't care about what you want them to learn. That's right. right? They want to learn about what they want to learn about. So, you know, often you'll see kids get really into... You know, I always joke, it's like, it's either trains at a young age, it's dinosaurs. You know these these kids who, like, know every kind of dinosaur and what it eats and exactly what it looks like. Not just like, oh, this is a cute dinosaur on this pillow. Like, they're like, no, this is a stegosaurus, and it does this and this, and when this is a herbivore, and this is a blah-bitty-blah. Right. right? And they know everything about every dinosaur. Right. I'll give you two guesses to what mine was. Oh, God. And I was like, this was like age four to like age eight it wasn't dinosaurs because that's easy right insects nope bugs are gross <laughs> and it wasn't trains because nope. i said that already right. and you didn't jump at that one right um what is the other one that they're always presidents oh no i'm really good at presidents though <laughs> yeah i love presidents i love me some presidents but that was a little later no um my first uh like obsession was uh planets <laughs> Oh, yeah, space, yes. Yeah, space. That's right. That was my jam, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, I know know a a student who, his jam is presidents. Yeah. And uh, every, just, I think he and his family have a membership to the Reagan Library. Right. Because they go there once a month. And he absolutely can out-docent any of those docents. Like, he knows right. more about Ronald Reagan than any of those docents at that yep. place. And he is eight. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Their family vacation, they had to go to Texas because there are three presidential libraries in Texas. And right. they had to hit them all. Yeah. So it's serious. I get it. I also find that um, as they get a little older, they, I, they get interested in war and military. Huh. And I think I'll be, I'm real. We're doing some broad strokes here. But yeah. This is something that I've noticed, and I think that it has a little bit to do with a lot of gifted kids are justice minded. Hmm. You know, they're tr- they they see things in kind of black and white, okay. and they're trying to make sense of the world. And they have this maturity and thinking that goes beyond their emotional range. Okay. And so they're trying to sort out things and they get really interested and they learn all about the um uh uh, the battles of a certain war and Mm -hmm. you know all all the that rings true what they write on those things that they so presidents wars planets yeah but the the what they have in common is just that they um want to know everything there is to know about that one topic exactly right there is no Depth too deep. Yep. Right? When I ran out of presidents, I switched to prime ministers. <laughs> Love it. Right? 
because every great. country has a prime minister. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, another misconception is that gifted students are easy to teach and they're easy to parent. God bless. No. Right. Because that whole misconception about compliance, that, right. you know, smartness equals compliance. Right. Or they're mistaking high achievers for gifted students. Um, you know, in general, gifted kids often um, are more difficult to teach because of some of that rigid thinking and that that um, uh, uh, obsession in one area and not wanting to, not, not being interested in what you want them to learn. Uh, but also they become easily frustrated with repetitive procedures that are found in most classrooms. Mm -hmm. So gifted kids will often, when you're teaching a lesson, you know, you give one example. Think of a think of a math lesson, right? And the teacher solves a problem on the board. Today we're learning about, you know, X and Y variables. And they'll do an example on the board. A gifted kid gets it after the first example. But what does a good teacher do? A good teacher repeats and gives multiple examples and right. then has the kids work with a partner and try try it for a couple more examples and then you know uh, get up and work with a group and do you know good teachers have kids um practice again and again and again but the thing is gifted kids don't need that much practice they get it and they've got it right. and they want to they want to demonstrate it they want to show that they get it and they want to move on Right. So they become bored easily in the classroom because they've mastered a concept before anybody else in their class. And now if you don't have something else for them to do, they are going to make your life miserable. Right. Because right? they're right. going to entertain the, try and entertain themselves. Right. Right. So that's, that's what makes them often hard to teach in the classroom. And that's why teachers really need to be trained in what – how do you teach gifted kids? You know, the, it's, it's not more work. The worst thing you can do is, oh, you finished early, great, here's another worksheet, right? Here's an, Deadly. Do more of the same. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not fair to the kids, and they don't need more practice. They've mastered it. They need depth and complexity. Correct. And that is, I've always found for teachers, myself included, it's so much harder to differentiate up than down. I think as teachers, we're particularly good at remediating, or if a child doesn't get a concept, we know how to teach it in a lot of different ways and give them a lot of different exposure. Um, we're good at that. We're good at helping the students who are struggling with a concept. But the ones who get it the first time we've taught it, and they're in the same class right. with kids who need to practice it again and again, it's you need a whole other set of tricks and things planned that the kids can do who have finished early and who need to do something that's going to challenge them. And that is hard. That's a whole other uh, really set of um, lessons to prepare for that same class period if you've got gifted kids in the class. And I think it's, um, uh, for a lot of teachers, it takes a lot more time and experience to know how to um, support gifted kids. I want to talk about emotional intensity, and I want to reference a book called um, that I went back to. It's called Emotional Intensity in Gifted Students, and it's by Christina Fonseca. And I've had the opportunity to hear her speak, and she was quite good, but I went back because I wanted to talk about 
emotional intensity because it goes hand in hand with giftedness. Um, what Dubrovsky's um, uh, theories show about giftedness is he talks about these sensitivities that kids who are intellectually gifted also have that goes hand in hand with their intellectual giftedness, which is um, they sometimes have tactile sensitivities. Okay. So these are the kids who um, complain of tags on their clothes uh, or sure. seams on their socks. Right. Right. This often goes hand in hand with giftedness. Um, a, um, a very acute sense of smell. Huh. Uh, taste. Right. We know so many kids who have real sensitivities to taste and texture, and so they'll only eat a handful of of things. Right. 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 This goes. This often correlates with giftedness. You may also be thinking, "Huh, I thought that also correlated with autism," and it's true. These sensitivities, sight, sound, you know, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to sunlight, um, bright lights, uh, different flickering of some of the lights in the classrooms, mm -hmm. um, different colors of light, um, uh, uh, you know, on the UV index, not right. like red, white, and blue right, type right. of things, but, you know, those kind of, um, uh, and then there's the sight, sound, they have very cute scent of hearing as well as smell taste, and then these tactile sensitivities. Right. There's a lot of kids with autism who have these sensitivities. There's also a lot of gifted kids who have these sensitivities. So when you're looking at a kindergartner who has all of these sensitivities, they have this real intense emotions that cause them to act out and throw themselves on the floor and be inconsolable. Now, I think our go-to for a lot of parents, of course, is they're looking at what sort of um, disability does my child have. Right. And sometimes it is giftedness. Yeah. So kids who teach themselves to read are gifted kids most of the time, right? They have that kind of brain that has figured out the pattern of letters without learning phonics, and they just figure out language yeah they they have some giftedness in that verbal area they have high vocabulary often right right so if you've got a kindergartner and they get what you are teaching them the first time or come in already knowing it and they have these behavioral issues and they're having a difficulty getting along with their peers um, and extreme emotional outbursts it may be giftedness, not a behavioral issue. Yeah, right. And I, I just cautioned a lot of parents um, when I was at the elementary, wait and see, you know, man, work on the behaviors, of course, but before you're quick to diagnose something serious like emotional disturbance or one of those kind of heavy-duty um, uh, emotional diagnoses, Hold off, particularly if a, get, a kid is very bright. It is. It may be better explained be, through this lens of giftedness. Right. We have such a positive connotation of giftedness, right? Yeah. Of course, a parent would much rather hit, hear, oh, your child is gifted, instead of, oh, your child has a disability, right? Correct. But a lot of gifted kids have challenges in school 
because of their giftedness. Um, they have this emotional intensity I want to talk more about. They have difficulty in with peers because they often don't share the same interests as yeah. their peers. Yeah, right, right. right. You, if you know everything about the presidents and you want to talk about presidents and you are in first grade, you are going to have a hard time finding another first grade friend who wants to talk about presidents. They want to talk about superheroes. That's right. That's right, yeah. And, so it's not unusual, the experience of a gifted child, and this is before they're identified, right? Because most schools don't test until second, third grade. Right. But they don't become gifted in second or third grade. They are born gifted. Yeah, right. They started and, that way. And they struggle yeah. sometimes with the social um, and behavioral components of school in kinder, first, second grade. Yep. And you're not quite sure why. Um, but gifted kids have a hard time relating to their peers. They usually relate better to to adults right. for two reasons. Um, adults are just generally more tolerant of quirkiness. Yeah. <laughs> and kids, you know, we're, we're, oh, a kid who knows everything about a, a Ronald Reagan or, or this president is really cute to an adult. Right. Um, we have more patience for those things, and we will listen to a child go on and on and on about their area of interest, where their peer is not going to stick around. They're not going to put up they, with that. Well, they yeah. uh, have a monologue. Right. right please, about their please, area of please tell me more about Neptune. <laughs> right. Or right. Nixon. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah. it's never Nixon, right? It's always like Millard Fillmore. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's only. always, you know, why, why be. Uh, uh, you know, why talk about Bill Clinton when I can talk about, uh, you know, James Monroe? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then because intellectually they, they are more developed, they, they will gravitate towards kids who are similar age intellectually, but they're not the same age you know, in, there's a word for this that I can't put my finger on right now, but there's, you know, your age that you are, how many years you've lived, but then there's also kind of this intellectual age. Yeah, you know, like they, a chronological age and an intellectual age. Right. Like your actual age. Yeah, yeah, right, they, right. Right. And, um, uh, and so, and the, and the, the emotional intensities uh, are sometimes off-putting to other kids. Let's talk right, a little right. more about emotional intensity. Okay. Um, so it can appear like anxiety, depressive symptoms. Um, and so this is another area where giftedness um, or uh, can be mistaken for a mental health issue. So kids who are, who are gifted intellectually have exceptional reasoning skills. Yep. They have rapid rates of learning, mm -hmm. right? We talked about how they learn much more quickly. Right. They, and they master rote information so much more quickly, okay? They have a strong capacity to, uh, to understand abstract information. Right. So they will be picking up on, let's say, if you're someone who watches the news. I watch the news in the morning as I'm getting ready just to kind of, you know, see what the weather's going to be, see what's happening in the world for a few minutes while I'm getting ready. If you're someone who puts on the news or listens to the news in the car or something like this, gifted kids are, are listening and understanding. Right. And they're understanding some of these abstract, 
abstract concepts that kids their age, it just goes right over their head. Right. Right? So um, my one of my nephews, the eight-year-old, I've been convinced for a number, number of years that he's gifted, and he's had a lot of emotional outbursts. He's had a difficult time making friends at school. He has a super high vocabulary. You know, he, he relates better to adults. Um, adults love him because he's got the super high vocabulary and uh, amazing syntax and grammar, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, he will not, he's eight, doesn't like to go to movies, will not go to movies because the experience in the movie theater is overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Not only the sound right. and the visuals being too stimulating, the emotional, you know, you go to a movie to get lost in uh, the emotions, right? Right, the movie. right, right. You want to be in the story. You want to be in it. You want to be right, right there along with the character feeling what they're feeling. Right, right. Unless... And and it's often ramped up a little bit, right? We're not going there to just see them see a character do their laundry and walk their dog that Right, day. right. They're, they're in some situation to heighten the emotions. It's too much for him. He cannot handle the emotions of the He cries easily. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, anytime I go to visit, when I leave, he cries when I leave. His dad um, travels a lot and, like, every, you know, once a week... <laughs> He's, I miss you, I'm going to miss you, you know, I'm sad. He's really very emotional. It's it's also a wonderful thing that he's so empathetic and caring and compassionate. Right. But it is just turned up to 11. Right. In this kid. And particularly, this is often true of gifted kids. Um, the The other thing about understanding these abstract concepts is they they have difficulty because they understand concepts of justice, suffering, inequality mm-hmm. before they're old enough to know how to deal with these feelings. Right. They see injustice in the world. They see inequality. They see unfairness and they're torn apart by it. Right. Right. And so they're, they're eight. <laughs> uh, we had, <laughs> we had a little boy at, at my elementary school who starting in about second grade said he wanted to kill himself. Oh, wow. And um, would say it, you know, more than you would want a second grader to say it. And he just seemed like he was really pretty down and he would just get in this dark place and he would say that he wanted to die. And the first time it happened, you know, we're calling a meeting with the parents and we're, right. uh, of course, you know, all the, uh, we're so careful about mental health well the second and third and fourth and fifth time you know in his time from second to fifth grade that he said these things by the by the end you know his mom and i were almost like you know laughing yeah (laughs) not like oh yeah did did he say he wanted to die again yeah i know um he but he it ended up he was gifted yeah i think he might have also been on the autism spectrum but he was very, very high-functioning, and I think it was, in many cases, more his giftedness and this, these intense feelings that he had of injustice, the world around him, and mm-hmm. just not knowing how to cope with these feelings. Right. It was exhausting. Oh, yeah. Right. That, that, that's what was coming through. 
that level of I'm just I'm so exhausted by by everything that I that I'm seeing, everything that I'm interacting with or perceiving, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he at that age he just has no coping skills. Right. For how to manage this, and right. I think we also have difficulty teaching kids that young appropriate coping skills. Right. That's that's something. Right. Um, that's hard. That not a lot of people have a specialty in that area. Right. So, of course, parents, teachers, educators, we see a kid like that in crisis and we want to get mental health professionals in to help this child. Right. But if they are gifted, the way that that therapist or counselor, whoever works with the child, it's different. And that's something that I really want to impart if you're a parent listening and some of these things are resonating with you and you feel like I've got a kid who's got this real, these intense emotions, you know, the smallest thing. Let let me give you, I had my nephews over here a couple weeks ago. Okay. And um, I may, I know, of course, they're picky eaters, right? Again, some of these tactile things. So I know that the the eight-year-old likes scrambled eggs. Every time I go over to their house... He's having scrambled eggs for breakfast. Okay. I can make scrambled eggs, right? Okay. So I'm making scrambled eggs and toast. I've done something wrong, of course. Inevitably, of course. Inevitably, I've done something wrong yes. with these scrambled eggs. There was something on these scrambled eggs, the way that I cooked them, that was abhorrent to him. <laughs> he had this little flap, this little piece that he was looking at and crying ah. and saying, I can't eat this. <laughs> And, you know, my reaction is like, just eat the eggs. But I said, you know, don't worry. You don't have to eat that. Don't worry about it. Eat the, you know, just eat this, eat the toast. You know, I I knew enough to like not get into it because I'm not going to reason, reason through this, whatever it is about these eggs that he hates. Did you ever figure it out? No, I just did something that was wrong with the way that I cooked them. Of course, John. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh, Oh my gosh, he doesn't like he doesn't like melted cheese. So like his mom will make him grilled cheese sandwiches and then has to put it in. He likes grilled cheese. He likes cheese. Okay. He just doesn't like it when it's melted and stringy. So she makes him a grilled cheese sandwich, puts it in the fridge for like 30 minutes, and then he is super happy. He has a cold grilled cheese sandwich. That's great. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's his very ordered world that he lives in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but all of the um the ladies at the grocery store, they have all these, like, cheese counters now. And there's right. somebody there, and they want to talk to you about cheese. Sure. They love him. They give him samples all the time. He knows all the cheeses. He knows all about cheese. They think he's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's your typical gifted kid. But he just absolutely melted down. I was like, just don't, just don't eat the cheese. Or just don't eat the egg. It's all right. You know, but it's like, ah, these just big emotions. Right, right. Right. Did you put um, cheese on the eggs? No, I no. didn't even put mm. cheese on the eggs. I knew, I knew that part. Right. Um, but some of their other qualities, they can, they can really intuit solutions to highly complex problems. Yes. You, know, re- you can be really amazed at what they come up with at such an, a young age. They make right. quick connections between things that seem unrelated, which is always really interesting. If you if you talk to them more about their thought process, you can see how they've really thought this through, these two un- things that seem unrelated. They have a rationale, and it's really interesting. And they often have a very vivid imagination. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, that that point about 
being able to really think creatively, innovatively. Yeah. Right. When you get the gifted student in a high school class mm. and you're doing, you know, work like I do, you know, a, that kind of student in an entrepreneurship class, uh, they won't necessarily be able to execute the the details of building a business plan or what have you. But they're often going to have a really interesting take on, you know, on what someone's problem might be. They're really mm. committed to solving it, but they need people around them who are more grounded and who are more, um, you know, sort of task-oriented, mm-hmm. right, who get rewards from doing those kinds of things rather than from thinking these big thoughts, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's super well, interesting. You know, some personality traits for gifted kids, they get bored with routine activities. Yeah. Yeah. So making lists, you know, those details they see as boring, mundane, you know, and um, sometimes they can come, they come across a little bit maybe arrogant or bossy. Sure. Right? Because they're not interested in, they're interested in the big idea, but maybe, but not. Uh, following through, like you said, on writing out the plan. They just, they, they know it, they understand it. With math at a younger age, of fourth and fifth grade, right. you know, when right now they have to write out, you know, well, explain your process. And they're like, I just know this, right? Like, I, I just understand algebra. I just, right, right. It's hard for them to even explain it. Right. They often, they crave order. And so they can come across as as rather rigid, and they can be rigid in their thinking. It's like you know, kind of black and white. Right. Um, and the the downside to this is they can be resistant to taking risks. Mm-hmm. So you know, in a classroom where you're trying to get thing kids to do something different or creative, sometimes your gifted kid is not comfortable there because they do need some parameters. And they're nervous about um, uh, taking a risk. And a lot of times that's what you're doing, right, in high school. You're like, come on, guys, just take a risk with me. Right, super hard. Yeah. Yeah. And and I appreciate that, right? It took a long time for me to be comfortable with being, uh, you know, completely wrong about a thing or, you know, taking a risk and it doesn't work and, you know, I... I, I I get that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't have a lot of experience with being wrong. Right. At a young age, right? Right. So um, then they become adverse to the idea. This is where that the the um, resistant to taking risks sometimes comes from. Kids, I find kids who like struggle in school and they have to try again and again and again and they eventually get it right they build up that that resilience and that perseverance to keep going through a difficult task because they have some experience of failing keeping at it and finally being successful Mm -hmm. whereas if you think about it gifted kids everything comes easy to them particularly in elementary school right right it's right. like they get it. They taught themselves to read you math. The first time they heard it, they understood it. They learned it. You know, everything came easy. Right. Then boom, they get boom, to middle boom. school right. and high school, and things start to get hard, and they hit a wall. Right. 
they have no skills, those kind of, that kind of work ethic, perseverance, resilience, and they, uh, there's something that's really common with gifted kids called imposter syndrome. Oh, God, yes. The, right? The first time they come up against this thing that they can't do, and this is a new experience, that they, there's something that they encounter they can't do. Instead of going, oh, now, you know, I'm actually just like other kids in this way. Right. You know, here's the thing that I can't do. No. What no. they think instead is, oh, I must not really be gifted. Right. right. I'm not good at anything. I, no. Yeah. Right. It's this, this emotional intensity again that it's like, oh, this has all been, you know, I've been faking it. Like they didn't That's right. know. That's right. Right. Everyone thinks I'm gifted. I have to keep up this facade. I can't do it anymore. And then they have this whole breakdown over the strangest thing. Right. And, you know, I can't do anything. I can't do anything right. Right. And it's, they have this, um, it's, it's very common called imposter syndrome. So they think when, that they are an imposter, a fraud. And right. that they not, are not really, you know, the, the test was wrong that they took and it, 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 right. they're not really gifted. Right. So their, their emotional characteristics are that they, can, they have strong emotions that can fluctuate easily between happy and sad. They're just like on a roller coaster. Right. Uh, but they are also very passionate about the things that they care about. Mm-hmm. They can be highly empathetic. Um, they can be overly critical because they're holding themselves to really high standards. They often hold others to these high standards that are just, you know, nobody can meet. Right. Unrealistic um, expectations. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, a couple of other, one other thing I want to mention that I learned that has stuck with me is a lot of gifted kids have a hard time sleeping. Huh. They really have a hard time shutting off their brain. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, of course, a lot of kids who are gifted want to read, and they want to read themselves to sleep. And we have this uh, perception or this idea, you know, of the kid who's reading under the covers with their flashlight to, like, one or two in the morning. Right. Right, these avid readers. Right. Because they... Are, can be intensely emotional and empathetic and get so deep and have this vivid imagination. They get so involved in their book. Yeah. They can't, then they can't sleep. Yep. They are amped up. For some, you know, a lot of us adults, we read to put ourselves to sleep. Well, gifted kids, if they're reading at night, particularly a book of interest, may not be the best thing for them because they get amped up and then they have a hard time falling asleep. Right. Yeah, it is so definitely a terrible, terrible choice, right? Yeah. 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 So um, there are other routines that you need to put in place um, instead of letting them read, you know, like having that break time. So let them read, but then have right. something before going to bed and probably talking through what they read and, and uh, talking out some of the emotions that they have stored up from this reading is a good way to help them kind of um, decompress a little bit so they can go to sleep. Right. The trick is quieting down that inside the brain conversation, which if you don't let it quiet down, will bring in all of these other subtopics and tertiary topics. And then it's three hours later. Yeah. Right. I mean, like we got off the book hours ago. Yeah. That's where we yeah. started. Yeah. But because I didn't decompress properly, 
Yeah, or they're making connections. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's taken them somewhere, somewhere else altogether. Yeah, yeah, mentally all over the yard, you know. Yeah. So you know, we think about giftedness as just we only think about the positive, and we think, oh, you know, gifted kids—they have it easy in this world. They're smart. School's easy for them, and you know, it's not necessarily the case because of all of these other things that are associated with giftedness. Now, as you said at the very beginning, there are kids who are smart and high achievers and don't have the emotional intensities and don't have the social issues. And those are the ones, you know, that you were talking about at the top of the episode. Right, right. Who, you know, they're involved in sports. They've, they've got a group of friends. They found their people. Um, and they tend to do much better in school. Um, just having a, I think, playing sports. I mean, some gifted kids aren't really interested in athletics. But when kids do play a sport and have to learn to work together. Correct. And compromise. <laughs> That is good for gifted kids. Yeah, it's it's productive to have to work in areas where you don't have a native high ability. Right. Right, because that tends to balance out all of the other things. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it resists that uh, imposter syndrome catastrophizing yeah. that you, you know, that you were talking about. Because that catastrophizing experience, um, I've seen that dozens of times mm. in gifted students who I've been who I've worked with, right? And and I I read a paper or I see a piece of work, and and it's clear that I've now pushed them beyond wherever their talent level was, and the work isn't isn't where. They, they're going to be happy with it, right? So rather, rather than dropping a C on it and giving it back to them, mm. you know, which will destroy them for a week, right? Or a B, right? Right, right. Right. Bring them in, talk through, how did you do this? What is this about, right? Do you appreciate that this question was harder, right? I had a student who... Uh, was in my 11th grade history class. And she's definitely super gifted, right? And her first paper for me was like a B minus. She failed it, in other words. Yeah. And, in her mind. <laughs> right. And even now, and this was 10 years later, right? She's an educator too now, right? She, she will say, you know, look... You you were the first. Yours was the first class that asked me a question that was appropriately above my level, so mm-hmm. I didn't know how to answer it. And when I didn't answer it at the level of effectiveness that I know you were looking for, because I can now see what you were looking for, educator to educator, I can see what you were doing. Right? Uh, you didn't just give me an A because I begged for it. Or because I always get A's. It's like, I don't care that you always get A's. You didn't get one here. You can't, yep. you cannot, you cannot sit objectively across the table from me and tell me that this is the best possible answer to this question or indeed your best work. It was correctly assessed. 
Now, what are we going to do to move forward? Well, you know, what's really interesting is that they've, obviously there's a lot of research in the area of giftedness and they have found that a lot of gifted kids are actually underdeveloped in their fine motor skills and huh. gross motor skills. Interesting. So the athleticism, it's not that they are not equally gifted. They are actually below average. Right. Right. And so a lot of gifted kids struggle with the act of writing. Their hand cannot keep up with their brain. So A, their brain is moving faster than the average brain. And right. B, their hand is moving slower than the average brain. Right. Or, or average hand, excuse me. Right. So they are doubly um, uh, stymied when it comes to writing. You see this a lot in elementary and middle school. Gifted kids, like, they don't perform in the writing. They just get the – particularly when they're asked to write by hand. But even, you know, the best thing you can do for a gifted kid is get them typing and get them typing early and get them typing properly. Yeah. Because that's how you're going to mitigate for those underdeveloped and delayed fine motor skills is you have them start doing typing programs. There's some great typing programs. Um, there's, like, this nitro type one that's free um, on the internet where they're like racing cars and playing games, you know, get them learning to type early. I'm saying as early as first grade. Right. Second grade. Right. Kids should be learning to type, particularly now in this age that we of computers that we live in. It is going to make um, writing, which is a difficult task for a lot of gifted kids, so much easier if they can learn to type. Because, of course, you can type so much quicker than you can write. Correct. And that's going to help. Correct. That's going to really help them as they're trying to get their thoughts down on paper. The for the behavioral piece of these intense uh, emotional explosions that they can have, just make sure with every kid that you're setting out the clear expectations for behavior. It's particularly, I think, gifted kids. You know, they want to know the why. They want to know the rationale behind this. They want to know that that there's justice, you know, that there's fairness in these rules. It's right. so important to them. Right. So um, instead of getting in this situation where you're trying to explain after the fact, you and the child now are in a heightened state <laughs> right? because right. they've done something and they've made you upset, make sure you're very clear initially, like you're setting out the rules initially. This is my expectation for your behavior. You know, having lists of rules and things is really helpful right. for gifted right. kids. This is, how right. our, this is how our home functions. This is how our classroom functions. This, these are my expectations. These are the routines of the classroom. Right. These are, you know, this is what we do in the morning when we get up. This is our bedtime routine. Like having right. those things are so helpful for kids. They, uh, all kids, of course, and there should be clear consequences for behavior. Um, this is this is true for all kids, but particularly for gifted kids, there should be appropriate boundaries, especially because gifted kids easily take on adult roles. Yeah, they can relate to adults easier. And now all of a sudden, they're having a heart-to-heart conversation with mom when she's had a really bad day and it's not really appropriate because sometimes they feel very deeply you know you don't want to burden them with your adult problems be really careful with that because right. they'll take it on you know they'll yeah, be for there. sure they'll listen for sure they're empathetic and they they have 
strong verbal skills. Um, try and keep your reactions consistent and predictable, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just always calm, non-emotional, particularly as they're starting to escalate. You want to you wanna right. go low. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah. When yeah. they're going high, you go you low. You go low, it's, exactly. It's the opposite. I think it's supposed to be the other way around, according to Michelle Obama. But in situations of behavior, when we're talking about when behavior's escalating and voices are escalating, you want to go low. You want to go quiet. You want to drop your tone. Right. You want to be reassuring. And I really think it's important... For all kids, I think I've mentioned this before, but especially gifted kids that they have opportunities for involvement. In the classroom, it looks like classroom jobs. At home, it looks like household chores. Um, You know, they should feel a part and feel that they're contributing. It's really important to them to feel that they're contributing at home and at school to the classroom. Correct. That's something that works really well. for gifted kids. Yeah. Parents, when you're trying to work with the school, you've identified, you, you think you have a gifted kid. Um, I think it's particularly hard in kinder first and second grade. A lot of those teachers, they're not dealing with, with this notion of giftedness because they don't have kids that are identified, but your experienced teachers know that, uh, giftedness, uh, what it looks like in kindergarten and first grade. Totally. Totally. And so if you're seeing that, you know, meet with the teachers, but go in with an open mind and listen to their perspective um, because they have a piece of the puzzle. Because how your child reacts socially in the classroom, remember, this is going to often be a difficult area for a gifted kid. You need to hear what that looks like, honestly, from the teacher. Um, because how they act in a class of 30 is going to be really different than how they act at home with just a couple of people. Right. There are there are introverts, gifted introverts who really need that quiet time. They really need to go into their room and shut the door, and that's how they recharge, and you've got to give them that time and space. Um, and in the classroom, I think they really struggle because they need some of that quiet time, and the classroom is always really active. Right. Um, so, you know, be on the lookout for that. Um, and compare notes with with the teacher about what works at school, what works at home, share those strategies, go in looking to um, uh, to actively listen, uh, go in with a mutual high regard, set some goals for the meeting, say what you need, and yep. you know, really listen and compare notes. That would be my strategy for if you're if you're wanting to talk to your child's teacher um, and you're suspecting giftedness or you just know that they have this explosive behavior. Um, and it's it can be problematic at school. Yeah, if yeah, I mean to I mean, look. The advice you gave works if you're going right, in to talk gifted, about giftedness, right. or if you're going in to talk about virtually anything, right? Yeah. Um, it a, as I've as I've told parents in the past, uh, you know, I I appreciate that your perspective is that your child should be in this AP course or should be in know, in this other advanced course, um, our sense is that we've got, we've predicted correctly where they should be. But I will tell you this, uh, we don't, we don't share with teachers beforehand, whether a student, you know, we thought might be at level honors, AP, etc. 
And even the least veteran teacher with a advanced kid in a non-advanced class, that kid is like a thousand watt light bulb. They're going to come to me in two days and say, can you help me understand why John Smith is in my class? Can you help me understand why Jane Smith is here? Because they should, it looks like they should be in this other experience. And it's far better for a student to be identified in that way and to be given an opportunity to go to a, quote, higher class than for them to be in an AP class that is inappropriate for them or an honors class and to be struggling almost immediately out of the gate and only in the class because they're being pressurized to be in there by, you know, by a parent. Well, and you know? by themselves. And by themselves, of course. The other thing that I see with high schoolers who are gifted and is they're, they can do it all, actually. <laughs> and it's hard for them to decide. Yeah. Because yeah. There are, there's a limitation to their time and the amount of work these AP classes are. Right. And, you know, like if they're a choir kid or a drama kid or they ha- they're on debate or chess club or robotics team or any of these other things, right? Right. They all take a lot of time outside of school. Right. If they're on a team. And then they, yeah, can they take four AP classes? They can. They're going to kill themselves. Right. You know? Right. You, at some point, you have to say, you need to make some choices. Right. You can't do it all. Yeah, Yeah. that's hard for this kind of student. Yes, it is. And and it's hard for that, for a parent Mm -hmm. who has seen their gifted kid seem to handle everything. Yeah. Right? And it's like, no, no, there really does come a time where where what's what's going to be best for your kid is concentration. Yeah. Right. I, and one of the yeah. one of the parents that I've known for gosh going at like 9 years now right. from elementary to middle and her son is he's both of her kids are gifted. Her son is like, you know, a math genius. He just gets math right away. First time, yep. gets it, no problem. He's a junior now, or no, maybe he's a, he's a sophomore right now. Okay. And he's already starting to think about colleges and what he wants to do. Right. Well, he's gotten involved in drama. He wants to go to, uh, he wants to major in drama and go to, you know, a school uh, to study drama, and his mom is just like, like Juilliard. Oh my gosh, can you believe this? Right. Like, here's this kid <laughs> who could do math in his sleep, right? He could just be an engineer. He could probably s- solve all the problems of the world, but he wants to do drama. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to be an actor. Oh my God. <laughs> How exciting. You know, if he's a really good actor, then, yeah. you know, he gets to be George Clooney and he has all access to these, you know, movers and shakers and all this money, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a way to look at it. For sure. And she's great. But it's just so funny. It's like, yeah, how many, how badly do we need, you know, gifted scientists and gifted mathematicians in in this next generation to solve some of the problems we've created? Right. You know, but some of these kids are just so good in so many areas. They really do have a hard time deciding what they're going to major in, deciding what they're going to concentrate on, 
because they're good in so many areas. Right. So that's another thing. Right. You know, that's another thing that gifted kids well, um, well, well, have to deal and, with. And, and back, to a, back to a point that you made originally, even if they're not especially good at a thing, they might like it. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't care about this degree you want me to get. <laughs> I want to study this thing right. that is super obscure but that I'm into. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to do that despite any pressure you put on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be kind of willful in my desire to learn whatever I want to learn. And and that's, you know, and that we're not, we're not going to have any more discussion about it. I'm going to win, so so I'm going to study what I want, right? I would love to see some sort of research done um i just want to see every college graduate who has graduated with um, a degree in uh, um, philosophy right i want to look at their elementary and middle school records and see if they were identified as gifted Mm -hmm. i bet you there's a very high correlation (laughs) almost certainly right (laughs) Because they're, you know, they want to make sense of the world. They think deeply about things. Right. They're interested in justice, um, justice, and, right. and oh, oh, you know the, the emotions right. behind these things. So right, they're not afraid to worry out a problem, right, to a very deep level. And in yeah. fact, they like it. They really want to make sense of the world they live in and yeah. understand it. Yeah. yeah, and it's sometimes our world. You know, it has injustice in it, and it's right. really hard. The younger they are, the harder, the harder it is for it is. them to really understand that yeah. and deal with it. So, yeah. I just want to I want to mention this book again because if you feel like some of the things that I've said about emotional intensity, um, you're dealing with with your child, and you think they are gifted, right? This um, this book by Christina Fonseca. Maybe we can you know put a little link to it. I will. It's full of case studies and descriptions of kids. It you know makes it really an accessible book to read because you, you know you read about these these students, these these children, and you see your own child you know in these examples in these case studies. And she's got some great strategies for working with emotionally intense kids, particularly parenting, um, emotionally intense kids, gifted kids. She's, she has a number of books, um, on giftedness and she lives in the Southern California area. So if you ever, you could even look her up, um, and she's gifted and has gifted kids and has lived it herself. So I would recommend checking out any of her books too. I think she's pretty great. So look for those kind of resources, and there are definitely groups. There are, um, oh gosh, there's there was a group called SENG, S-E-N-G, and I think it stands for, like, the Social Emotional Needs of Gifted, okay. uh, Giftedness. Okay. Um, there are groups that meet. They're called SENG groups. Okay. That are often led by a, um, a therapist or an MFT or... Um, a, a counselor or a psychologist who is specializing in the area of giftedness. So, like I said, if some of this stuff rings true for you, there's a lot of resources out there, and you need to um, learn a little bit more about it because it is a real specialized area. Right. 
Um, right. Even I if mean, it's not special ed, I'm air quoting again because that right. makes for great radio. Uh, yeah. Even if it isn't the way that we would normally think about special education, it is a kind of specialty education. Yeah. yeah. Right. And a lot of the things, the behavioral pieces that work, you know, the applied behavioral analysis and all the stuff that uh, behaviorists do for special education students work um, for gifted kids too because they're craving that routine and that order um, and it's not always it's not always something we're good about doing as adults uh, is providing the the routine and the order that some kids really need right right the the classic answer well why do I have to do this because I said so okay that is not a well thought through <laughs> Yeah, if, that's right. If what you want is another 40 minutes of debate, yeah, yeah I'll offer that as your defense to a yeah. gifted kid. Yeah, yeah, because you're pretty much toast. That's right. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, so we're at an hour and 10. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, I'd love to hear your experience if you were identified as a gifted and talented kid in your you know, in your youth, what are you, what were your experiences, uh, you know, in that regard, do the points that Jennifer and I were talking about today resonate for you in, in any way? Do you have a kid who you're parenting and you're, you're sort of reading in this way and wondering what your next steps might be? Uh, you know, share with us on, you know, our homepage, on our Facebook group, Email Jennifer, email me. We're always happy to talk to listeners and to share perspectives. And, um, you know, now, Jennifer, as I recall, this episode, our eighth episode of season one, is going to be our last episode of season one. We're going to take a little hiatus and come back with season two in a couple of months with some guests, new topics, new questions, and... um, and the ongoing conversation. Yeah, I think we're also, you know, we've covered some large topics. Yes. Season one. And I, throughout, we've talked about things we want to revisit uh, more specifically. And Correct. bring on some experts. Correct. Um, and we've, we've batted around some ideas, but we'd love to hear from you. What are some things that you want to know more about? Maybe we touched on it. Right. Um, but we need to drill down and dig deeper um, and spend more time just talking about uh, some of these ideas and concepts like, um, I didn't uh, go into too much detail, but executive functioning skills, which is right. the fancy term for you know just being organized. So many right. gifted kids struggle in that area, right? Right. And so I feel like that's an episode right there. Let's talk about executive functioning skills. How do you build those in a kid who doesn't naturally have them? Right. Mm. Uh, a very productive conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but that would be but fun but to... almost an hour by itself. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So if we brought somebody else in who could contribute in that area you know that would be really fun so that's what we're we're talking about doing for season two yep that's what we're planning we're planning it now as we speak and um and uh, and we'll go from there if you are listening and you are uh you know in southern california uh 
and you want to meet up with Jennifer and me, drop us a note on the Facebook group. We'd love to get together and talk about education and hear your thoughts. So keep listening. Rate and review. Five-star reviews. They're a good thing. They help us a lot. And uh, we look forward to the ongoing conversation. We'll be back in a couple of months. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, you you struggle with the most basic of instructions. (laughs) This... uh, this makes good end of the episode, uh, bloop, you know, blooper reel kind of content. Okay, you ready? Okay, good. you ready? I'm recording. Three, okay. two, one. See why? Perfect. We... Was that perfect? Okay. Yes. God, can we do it again, please, so that I can have a proper mark? Three, yeah. two, one.